The D-backs are set to square off against the Texas Rangers. So what lessons did they learn from their series against the Philadelphia Phillies that they can apply here in the World Series? You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? That was charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com to see all my latest work. I've been hosting Locked on Diamondbacks since 2020. And now we get to see the D-backs face off against the Rangers in the World Series. I'm so excited for today's podcast. We're going to be talking doing a little three-man show actually with Locked On Rangers host Bryce Patrick and Locked On MLB host Sully Baseball in segments number two and number three. But before we get there, I first want to talk about, I, I want to do a little preview myself, solo preview D-backs versus Rangers and talk about things that we learned from the series against the Philadelphia Phillies, lessons learned that we can apply in the World Series. I can't believe I get to say that. D-backs and the World Series. So let's talk about some lessons that this team learned from their NLCS. The first lesson they learned, Ketel Marte is the most consistent postseason performer in Major League Baseball. Ketel Marte now owns the longest hitting streak to start your postseason career at 16 games. Marte has been a stud this postseason for the D-backs, coming through time and time again. If you just look at that Philly series, he had one, two, three, four multi-hit games out of seven against the Philadelphia Phillies, where he won the the NLCS MVP. Marte just came through repeatedly for the D-backs, of course, had the walk-off in Game 3, delivered big knock after big knock in this series. It felt like when Ketel Marte was at the plate, if there was someone on in scoring position, he was bringing them home. And if there was no one on, it felt like Ketel Marte was going to hit a double to put himself in scoring position. So far, his career postseason slash line, 371, 389, 657. And in the NLCS, he had a 387 average with a 987 OPS. Ketel Marte has been a stud this year for the Arizona Dimebacks in the postseason. And he looks like the most consistent postseason performer going right now. And we're going to need him to match some of the offensive weapons that the Texas Rangers have with guys like Adolis Garcia and the Corey Seegers and the Simeons of the world. Next lesson, Corbin Carroll is a big game player really struggled those first six games of the series but even in game six Corbin Carroll did get a hit and he did score one of the runs in that game then of course in game seven Corbin Carroll came through in a huge way for the D-backs three for four two of the RBIs went to Corbin Carroll two of the runs scored went to Corbin Carroll and most importantly Carroll had two stolen bases 
Carroll is a st- Carroll is a stud. He's going to run away with the Rookie of the Year voting. He's going to get some MVP votes. Those first two rounds of the postseason, Corbin Carroll was electric for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I was saying he was arguably the best player in the postseason after those first two rounds because against the Cubs, or excuse me, not the Cubs, against the Brewers in the wildcard round, his slash line was 571, 667, and 1143. In the second round, it was a 300 average with 1100 OPS. He was dominant those first two rounds of the postseason. He was 7 for 17 when it came to the hits. But in the NLCS, He only had six hits total, but half of them came in game seven, and another one came in game six. Corbin Carroll, big game player. Would like to see him get started a little bit earlier in the World Series. Don't wait to game six and game seven, but best believe if the D-backs can extend the World Series, Corbin Carroll will be the guy in the back half of the series to take us home. Next lesson learned. The answer backs are alive but scoring early is still key. We saw the D-backs repeatedly come back in the series against the Phillies. We saw it in Game 7 when they were down, um, entering, I think, like the fifth inning or something like that. We saw it in Game 4, the game I was at. The D-backs were down like three runs, entering the eighth inning. Like so many times in this series, the D-backs were down and were able to battle back. So many times this postseason, we've seen the answer backs. We saw them on a big display against the Milwaukee Brewers. And... Coming back to Arizona, game three on, basically, we saw the answer backs alive against the Phillies, and the answer backs are great. I love the answer backs. You look at the D-backs offenses postseason, a lot of their runs come from the seventh inning on, but this D-backs team looks the most dominant when they're scoring early. When you see what they did against the Dodgers, knocking out Kershaw early, knocking out Bobby Witt early, or at least getting four home runs within the first three innings like you did in game three. You saw what we did against Philadelphia in game four. When you put these teams on their heels early, yes, teams like the Phillies, Dodgers, Rangers all have great offenses, but when you start in the hole, it just puts a little bit more pressure on yourself to make something happen. And the D-backs are the best at being down in the hole, making stuff happen. But if they get to play with the lead, That's when the D-backs are truly scary because we know they could come back from any deficit. But when they already get to play with the lead with how their pitching has been recently, it makes the D-backs feel almost invincible. Next one, slow down the top of the offense to cut off the snake. That's what we've seen the D-backs do specifically in the last two series, right? You slow down the Mookie Betts of the world. He went over in the NLDS. Freddie Freeman had one hit because he beat Zach Gallen on a single to first base. That's all those two guys did. Then you fast forward to the Philly series. What was happening early? Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, they were hitting home runs. We, I was coming on the podcast and I was saying, stop pitching to those two dudes. They're too scary. They're too dominant. They're, they're, they're too dangerous at the top of the lineup right now. Feels like They're just on fire, and they're going to smash every pitch in their zone. The D-backs, to their credit, never stopped pitching to those guys. By the time the series got back to Arizona and back to Philly the second time, those guys cooled off a little bit. You look at the stats for Schwarber and Bryce Harper the last two games, really disappointing stuff if you're a Phillies fan. So I think the D-backs have to continue to cut off the top of the snake, cut off the head of the snake. 
rip out the Seegers, the Simeons, and the Garcias, and that will give the D-backs a pretty good chance and opportunity to win the World Series. Another lesson learned, we don't need to short rest pitchers. One thing that I've learned from this postseason that I've been kind of surprised with from the D-backs is their pitching is kind of good. Like we saw with the Philadelphia Phillies, putting Zach Wheeler out there in short rest on Game 7. Like, the D-backs just don't have to do that. Your number three starter right now is as locked in as anybody in the postseason. And you also trust your bullpen right now. We saw the Phillies against the D-backs bullpen game. The D-backs bullpen game was good. And then if you're somehow able to get it to the sixth or seventh inning, you could do extended innings with Kevin Ginkle. The combination of Ryan Thompson and Sal Frank makes you feel pretty good as well. So the D-backs don't need to do short rest because the back end of their rotation with the Brandon Fox is looking good. The bullpen day is working, and the back end of the bullpen is working too. So I think the fact that the D-backs don't feel like they need to throw out a Zach Gallen or a Merrill Kelly on short rest, you can actually trust the pitchers on your staff. I think that makes you feel pretty good right now if you're Tori Lovello and Brent Strom. How about this lesson that we learned, specifically at the end of that Philly series? Speed is still a major weapon for this D-backs team. I don't know why Tori Lovello forgot that. I don't know why we stopped sending dudes. I guess you didn't want to be overly aggressive in the postseason. Maybe we got too conservative. We were scared of getting thrown out and won the bases. But in the last two games, the D-backs stole, like, what, nine bases or something like that? Like, Corbin Carroll is going, Christian Walker. Like, it felt like... Anyone who got on base had an opportunity to go. They were just reading the timing of these Phillies pitchers. And it's like, that's what you should be doing. Your hashtag is embrace the chaos. And we barely saw the D-backs create any chaos on the base paths. The first five games of the NLCS. This was a team that I think finished second in the NL in stolen bases. They got speed galore. Corbin Carroll, tier one speed. Alec Thomas, not far behind him. Christian Walker is savvy when it comes to stealing bases. Marte, Perdomo, those guys aren't slow. Neither is a Tommy Pham or Gabriel Moreno. They can at least go from first first to third and a ball to right field if you need it. They can score from second if you need it too. Like Those D-backs team has so much speed and I think they forgot that speed was a weapon the first five games start to use it more in the last couple so let's see more team speed in the world series how about this lesson you should just start Alec Thomas every day I don't care if there's a righty a lefty on the mound I don't care about the situation Fun fact for everyone, Alec Thomas this postseason has the second best OPS at 865. He leads the team in home runs. And Alec Thomas has only nine strikeouts, which I don't feel like is a ton. Eighth on the team in strikeouts this postseason, which is like fine. So like Alec Thomas has been really good for this team. He's come through in the slugging department, which is not his strength. Thomas has not been a power bat all season long. He has not been the slugger the D-backs have wanted him to be. Um, and he was never profiled as a slugger. But so far this postseason, he's turned into a legit power lefty. And the D-backs could definitely use some more power from the left side. So it's like, start Alec Thomas every day. I, I don't care about if there's a righty or a lefty on the mound. Put Tommy Pham or Guriel at the DH or do whatever you need to do. But I think Alec Thomas has to be a starter every day because he's quite literally one of the hottest players that the D-backs currently have in their lineup. Uh, love, next lesson, love Gabriel Moreno in the number three hole. I thought he looked 
really comfortable there, and he's someone I just trust in those big moments. There was times earlier in the NLCS, specifically when it was like back in Philly, I didn't like the swings that Gabriel Moreno had, but I think he is a clutch guy. I think he is someone that gets up in those pressurized moments like we saw him in Game 4 give the D-backs the lead, and I just think in those kind of situations late in the game, I do trust Moreno, and I like him in that number three hole, a solid contact hitter. Yes, he might strike out from time to time, but overall, I think his his hitting tools and fundamentals are pretty sound, and so I do trust him in that number three hole. But it's someone that I don't trust high in my lineup, because next lesson, we need to move Christian Walker down I, I don't know if I could do it anymore. Christian Walker in the number four hole for the D-backs this postseason. It just hasn't been good. Tori Lovello is going to give him the, the cleanup spot the first two games of the series, no doubt. But once this series goes back to Arizona, if Christian Walker does not do something the first two games of the series, I'm not even giving him a chance to prove himself in Arizona. I would have seen enough. Drop him down to like number six in the lineup, number seven if you have to, just because I think he's hurting the team way too much from his lack of production in the number four hole. Same with this next guy, but instead of moving him down, let's just sit him. Evan Longoria, everyone's like, he helped us win the wild card round. Yes, he might have done that. That was a long time ago. That was three rounds ago. That was a lot of baseball ago. And so Evan Longoria, he just hasn't been that effective. Even in that wild card round, it wasn't like Evan Longoria was batting 400 or putting up some insane stat line like in the wild card round Evan Longoria had one hit so get off this Evan Longoria saved us early in the postseason yes he might have had a couple of moments but for the most part Evan Longoria has not been that helpful of a contributor at least from an offensive standpoint so many times he comes up to the plate and just like yep this is an easy out like it almost feels like we're back in the pre-universal DH days with Evan Longoria just because I have no confidence that he's going to do anything at the plate. It almost feels like there's a pitcher at the plate right now. So sit Evan Longoria. Then the final lesson that I had from the NLCS is that Gerardo Perdomo is a stud. And he was definitely deserving of his all-star nomination this year. Because if you actually look at Perdomo, he's kind of the forgot- forgotten guy in this lineup just because... He's the number nine hitter. That's usually reserved for someone that's not that good or just someone that you put down there who has a little speed just in case they get on base. It's like the top of the lineup restarting, right? That's what the old cliche is. But Perdomo against the Phillies in this NLCS was kind of on fire. From game four on, when this series was back in uh, Arizona, you look at Perdomo's stats, he was really good. Game four, he got, uh, cause he got his first hit of the series in game one. He went one for three. If you honestly, I'll just go the game by game game log for Perdomo in the NLCS one for three. And that first game, he also had, uh, he had the home run. Don't forget and two RBIs off Zach Wheeler late in the game to f- make it feel like the D backs had a potential chance of coming back in game one, game two, oh, for three game three, oh, for three. But look, game four, one for four run scored game three, two for four game uh, or excuse me, game four, he was one for four run scored. Game five, two for four. Game six, two for four run scored. And then game seven, two for three run scored. Perdomo, last three games of the NLCS, double, or excuse me, not double digit hits, 
at least two hits in each of them, multi-hit games in the last three games of the NLCS, and five of the seven games he got a base hit. Gerardo Perdomo was a stud in the NLCS, and I want to give him his flowers because I feel like he's the dude that I use as the measuring stick for how this D-backs offense is going to perform. I trust him from a his batter's eye, like I think when Perdomo swing at a pitch, it's definitely a strike. And when he's taking something, it's definitely a ball. And I usually use that as a measuring stick for how this offense might be. We saw the D-backs offense wake up those last four games, and not surprised, it's when Geraldo Perdomo also woke up as a player. So when Geraldo Perdomo is cooking, it just makes the job easier on so many more of these D-backs position players. And when that's your number nine hitter, Putting in work like that is just going to put so much more pressure on the opposing pitcher when you know you got Corbin Carroll and Kento Marte right up after a little domo action. Do you know what? How does a free World Series meal sound like? All the fixings you want with all the food and all the snacks. Well, guess what? This year, Ibotta is here to give you cash back and help make sure that your World Series spread is complete because who wants the chips without the dip the best part of any baseball food being spread out are all the things all the different sides and all the things you dip into with your body you can make sure that everyone's favorite side dishes is ready to be eaten well you get some cash back yourself look at Ball games like this means get-togethers of all your friends coming to the house watching the game. But you don't have to spend all that money on the spread without getting something returned. With the Ibotta, you can have your cake and eat it too. Now, this World Series is going to go into November. We all know it. And starting November 1st, for the fourth year in a row, Ibotta is giving you 100% cash back on all your food and all your groceries. Just add the offers in the app to redeem for everything you need to make your feast complete, all you have to do is shop at your favorite retailers and upload your receipt. Body gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce, personal care, and pantry goods. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. And you can also earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and many more. Download the Ibotta app and use code MLB to get 100% cash back on your groceries starting November 1st, just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the free Ibotta app and use code MLB. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use the code MLB. Step on the bumpers. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, hey, let's talk about we got the series between you two guys here. And it's funny, we there's there's no real villain in this series. You know, the, the brash Phillies are out, the hated Astros are out. We have two cute and cuddly teams, uh, two underdogs. Sorry, Bryce, but you, you know, there's an underdog. You know, yeah. this was no, the no, um, I like it. I, I like I like the underdog, you know, that no one believed in us. Hey, uh, in mid-September, both the Diamondbacks and Rangers were out of the playoffs. And that two is, years ago, they good, were 
Good thing the playoffs don't start in mid-September. I know. And uh, two years ago, your teams were 100 lost teams. I'm looking at you, Angels. These two teams were able to take 100 losses and flip it to the World Series in two years. You've had Shohei Otani and Mike Trout for more than half a decade. And you're like, I don't know, maybe we can uh, approach 500. Anyway, let's talk about the two teams left standing. Uh, Millard, what are you Mm -hmm. most nervous about? Uh, going into the series and we all know who's your game one and your game two starters uh, mm-hmm. who you got who you got game three or, or is it going to be fought again I think it has to be fought with how he's pitched so magically right and historically during this uh, MLB postseason so far and I just think that the thing that I'm most nervous for entering the series is is this magic that the D-backs have displayed is it just going to disappear at, at some point right because the D-backs are playing way above their expectations level. They've been playing above their head their whole postseason with how their offense has been able to battle back. Obviously, they've been doing that the whole year, but doing it against teams like the Phillies with dominant offenses and the Dodgers and the Brewers. And then your pitching has been phenomenal from your rotation to the bullpen. Like At some point, is the clock going to strike midnight and this D-backs team turns back into pumpkins? I'm hoping that's not the case because going against this Rangers team, the thing that scares me most about the Rangers, talking with Bryce Patrick before the podcast, is that lineup. We talked about it yesterday. I'm a guy that leans offense when I look at sports teams, and that Rangers lineup just reminds me of what we just went against in this Philadelphia Phillies series because that lineup is so deep and stacked, and you talk about villains. I don't even think our Adolis Garcia is a villain in Major League Baseball right now. Yeah, I had him on five fantasy teams. Like, I'm pro Garcia. This man has won me money in my leagues like the last couple of years, so there's not a player on the... I think there's probably one player on the Rangers a bunch of people hate, but <laughs> outside of that, dude, I'm pretty sure everyone is pro everyone on both of these teams, so I just need to make sure the D-backs have to keep doing what they did against the Phillies the last couple games and what they did against the Dodgers. They were able to cut off the head of the snake, the top of the lineup. They were able to really shut that down against the Dodgers in the last couple games against the Phillies. If you can slow down the Seagers and the Simeons and the Garcias of the world, the D-backs will have a chance in the series. Get to that bullpen because, Bryce, I want to know, are you still feeling a little scared when you see that Rangers bullpen come in later in the games? Because we know the answer backs love to score runs seventh inning and on. Well, uh, yeah, uh, to, to tell you, to illustrate that point, um, while I was at game seven and the Rangers threw in Araldis Chapman with an eight inning, eight run lead in the eighth inning. I was terrified out of my mind. I said, you fools, you fools, don't give them hope. They like this man. They tee off on this man. They have success against this man in this building. Even with Jose Leclerc on the mound with an eight-run lead in the ninth inning, I was still kind of trembling in my boots. And I love Leclerc, and he's been great. But, um, I yeah, and Josh Boers has been amazing. Um, but, yeah. But yeah. yeah. And before we get um, back to you, Sully, I just want to end. I'm going to end the narrative right here about the underdog Texas Rangers with the fourth biggest payroll in Major League Baseball. I don't want to hear about, I can't believe they're here. They got one of the most expensive rosters in the sport. They got stars up and down that lineup, the rotation. You're talking about an underdog story, a team that we did not expect to be here. You better start. You better end that sentence with the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's well, it's say. funny. Sorry, it's funny. Bad. All of the the narrative ball about the Astros being like, oh, the Rangers bought their bought their team versus built it. Well, I mean, the Rangers payroll this year, uh, according to Spot Track, is two hundred forty five and a half. Wait, hold on, two hundred fifty million, and Woo! the Astros 
237 million. But yeah, right they also kind of mis it's also misleading because it includes all $43 million of Max Scherzer's uh, salary, which the Rangers are not paying $43 million for Max Scherzer right now. So that would bump them way, way down. There's also $12 million of Jake Odorizzi, $10 million, I believe, of which was paid by the Braves. There's also $30 million of Jake DeGrom on the IL. That's that's all theirs. But like, it's really like, and you look fair. at the active, they're paying that one. Yeah, they're paying that one. But if you look at the 26-man payroll at the end of the season when uh, John Gray and... Uh, and Max Scherzer were on the IL, IL. The Rangers' twenty-six man million, her twenty-six man payroll was one hundred and forty-eight million dollars, which would have been eighteenth uh, behind the St. Louis Cardinals. So, like, there's a few guys that are big money guys, but like this narrative that like the Rangers bought everybody, like they bought a few guys that are expensive, but for the most part, it's a lot of homegrown youngsters on both these teams. May I say, um, I hate the narrative of they bought it because that's what the team's supposed to do. Yeah. The teams, mm -hmm. every team is owned by a Scrooge McDuck person mm -hmm. who has enough money to send their great grandchildren to law school without getting a scholarship. No, there, no. So it actually, you might you might have missed this in the newest CBA. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, actually, yeah. only the Texas Rangers can spend money on good players. Everyone oh, else, if they right, do that, right. they will be a shot and shamed. Well, the, the Astros have homegrown players like Justin Verlander, like Jose Abreu. <laughs> you know, they got players who just they came up through the. No, what nonsense! The ownership is. Are we? There's a lot of things I'm going to talk about this in, a, in a later episode this week. There's a lot of things we have to dis, to determine. What are we getting outraged? Are we outraged that it's the same teams winning every year? Okay, we got some new teams. Oh, no one wants to see them. Oh, our owners aren't spending any money. Hey, we're going to spend money to try to win our first championship in team history. Oh, way to go. Way to buy it. Well, you got to pick one. You can't yeah. be outraged at everything. The Rangers and their and their manager did what every sports team wants their ownership to do, to say, we're not satisfied being a 100-loss team. We're going to spend some money and put a good team on the field. So yeah, you can't. What are you, how can you get mad at the Rangers for doing what fans want them to do? And look, so, even though I love all those graphics that show how much each win is worth that the D-backs spend versus every other team, guess what? Every D-backs fan going to this offseason is like, you better add to this roster. Go out there, add a couple big bats. Go get a legit, you know, uh, another starter in that rotation. Like, you shouldn't sit on your hands when you had such a cheap team make it to the World Series. Now it's the time to go all in, spend some money, and really max this roster around and, young stars like Corbin Carroll. And mm -hmm. hope that they stay healthy. Yeah. And speaking of staying healthy, if you're talking about staying healthy, the best thing you can get is Jace Medical because the Jace case is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is fill out a simple online form and in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of our board-certified physicians, get ongoing care from our physicians on any treatment-related questions, doctor-created, doctor-recommended. So go to, Jace, go to jacemedical.com and enter code LOCKEDON at checkout 
for a $20 discount on your order. That's promo code locked on at J A S E medical.com. Now, we jumped on, get the banner out of there. Uh, we jumped on about the worries about the Diamondbacks, uh, about the the, uh, the Rangers' bullpen issues. I'm sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, I, I really think this is going to be an intriguing series because the Rangers do jump on the starting pitchers. They've jumped on wonderful starting pitchers this whole postseason. And the Diamondbacks jump on people's bullpens. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling you may see a game where the Rangers go up five nothing and the final score is six to five. I'm not telling you which one wins. Um, what are what are you most uh, confident about in your scoring, and, and which person do you think is the um, has the most pressure on them? I think yeah, I think the Rangers have the most pressure on them, honestly, because the Diamondbacks they have been like. I mean, both teams are underdogs and the Rangers just came with their just the underdog of underdogs in every single series. And um, but now they come in and they're the home field team um, and they're, they're the a, big boys. They the are big the big payroll. They're the big mean Rangers. Exactly. Yeah. And they're the they're the big market, you know, the the big de- whatever the TV executive care about or whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, both these teams, I think the Diamondbacks swept both their first series, right? And then go to mm-hmm. went to seven. Oh yeah. So these yeah. teams have won and lost the exact same amount of games. Like basically went about it in the exact same way. They both went down um three, you know, two. I mean, three two. And they both went on the road into allegedly very tough road ballparks and won the final <laughs> yeah, two games. Allegedly. Um yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm confident in this Rangers offense of of scoring early. I mean the one thing this Rangers team, the last time you and I did a crossover, I talked about uh, the the Diamondbacks threw a a, um, a uh, what's it called bullpen game, and that's the one thing that shut down this Rangers offense in the regular season is they just like could not hit against bullpens. And so the first couple of games of, of that series in Houston, the Rangers jumped out to an early lead and then couldn't quite tack more on, but held on. And then that's the thing that was most encouraging to me about Game Seven and also a little bit in game six is that the Rangers finally got to the bullpen of the Astros, which is a very good bullpen and got justice against Brian Abreu for his suspension, not suspension nonsense um, in the form of an Nathaniel low home run. So this is going to be, this is going to be interesting. I mean, the, these Rangers guys, I mean, they've been good. The three arms that they trust back there in spores and Chapman and Leclerc, but they've been ridden really, really hard. So they might be getting a little tired um, of having to throw them so many times. So th- this is going to be, this is going to be such great theater and such great baseball because they're two yeah. very different offenses that are both very good. Yeah, it feels like what's going which of the two forces, the Rangers scoring early versus the D-backs scoring late, which one is going to give? Because the D-backs starting pitching is definitely going to need to step up in a big way to slow down that Rangers offense. And that's why the guy that I think has the most pressure on is the guy that is considered the ace of the D-backs rotation who struggled in his two starts against the Phillies. Zach Gallen is the man I'm watching for to set the tone in game one against the Rangers because you look at game one against the Phillies, Zach Gallen 
and set the tone, but he did not set it for the Arizona Dimebacks as Kyle Schorber led off the game. First pitch home run. Two batters later, Bryce Harper also hit a home run. Zach Gallen got kind of shelled against the Phillies, and it's not too surprising because that Phillies offense is loaded like we discussed. So I need to see Zach Gallen get off to a good start against this Rangers offense. The pitcher I have the most trust in on the D-backs rotation right now is Merrill Kelly. So yeah, he could get crushed by the Rangers, but I also feel pretty good heading into that start. With Zach Gallen, despite him being the ace of this team, he's the guy I feel maybe even more nervous about than Brandon Fott, who's a rookie for the D-backs, with how he's looked his last three starts. So I think it's a big test for Zach Gallen, a guy who was the first half Cy Young Award winner, who slowed down the final few weeks of the season, kind of hit a wall, was good his first couple turns through the rotation in the early part of the postseason, but struggled against that Phillies offense. So with the Rangers having a similar offense to Philadelphia, I want to see is Zach Gallen if he could set the tone early as the D-backs game one starter. Yeah. Well, look at I think this is going to be an exciting series. Uh, I am going to ask you both to make your prediction. Oh, Ooh. I don't do predictions already. I'm, I'm staying away already. with the D-backs this postseason. I haven't made one prediction on anything. I'm going to keep it that way. I'm enjoying the ride. Win or lose with the D-backs. It's been a fantastic season, so I just want to keep enjoying this ride. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. Cowardly. Cowardly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, really I say want to make predictions. We'll let those guys make predictions. We don't do that. I, here. I said Rangers in five last series. Um, I was <laughs> oh wrong. Um, I was almost wow. very right. I felt I felt very confident. Um, but um, hey, they won. That's what matters. Um, I'm gonna say Rangers in six in this one. I'm not gonna underestimate the D-backs like I did the Astros. Um, but I I really underestimated Brandon Fott. Like when I was like talking about like who, how well the Rangers match up with different teams and, you know, watching his starts, I'm like, okay, I, I apologize. It's, it's that meme. I apologize to that man. I was unfamiliar with your game. Like I was, I was yeah. unfamiliar with Brandon Fott's game. Cause we saw, I believe it was his major league debut against the Rangers. Uh, and he oh, got, yeah. I, it was like, it was back in May that first, that first series that we we played against each other um, in Texas, it was either it was maybe not his first start, but it was one of his first couple of starts in the big leagues. And I think the Rangers shelled him. Um, and yeah, I was they like, did. And we yeah, saw early was, Fott, like, Fought the whole regular season with just a home run pro, like a Lance Lynn. Like, he had nasty stuff, but he gave up a lot of home runs. So uh, he's been great this <laughs> postseason, but against that Rangers offense, like anything is possible. And I'm scared he could go back to those home run problems. I mean, okay. Well, we got to we got to wrap this episode up. We're hit. We're hitting the clock oh, no, right now. No, we we got we got a few more minutes, Sully. We got <laughs> we got like we got like now. three more minutes. It's fine. Well, I'm gonna make my prediction. Okay, make okay. your prediction. I predicted the Diamondbacks would get swept in the uh, wild card round by Milwaukee. Mm. I predicted that the Dodgers would have their way with them, and I thought that the Phillies were going were just better and were gonna beat them in four. Uh, and I have been wrong every time. Do it again. Diamondbacks in seven. Ah, oh, no, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to. Oh. Diamondbacks in seven. Oh, thank you, Sully. Oh, you're doubting has given this Rangers team power. It really has. And it's it's given both of your teams power. I thought you were both getting swept <laughs> in the first round. I'm sure you just wanted to pick, uh, you know, nobody in sevens. You can no, keep no, I have to pick somebody. Power. I have to pick somebody. Well, look at, uh, and you know what? I've picked you two out of all the podcasters to be part Pick you both at random to be part of our World Series preview. Um, and if the Diamondbacks win the World Series, I want a webcam on Paul Goldschmidt to see. Uh, okay. He wanted to be on there. a winner. He wanted yeah. to be on a winner. 
he got traded away and the team he got traded away from that he came up with was the man for it got to the world series before the Cardinals. Was there a bet on FanDuel for that? Well, look at, uh, before, before we close this out, I, I want to issue an official apology to Miller Thomas, um, for the things, for the things that I said to you after the end of the regular season, I was hurt. I was spiteful. And I was upset that your your Diamondbacks could not take one game off those yeah. stinking Houston Astros in that last that last series of the regular season. I remember but, that. But your D-backs, they knew something that I didn't. They knew that they were doing the Rangers a favor, you know, giving them that extra motivation to fly to yeah. Tampa and to, you know, reset themselves. So actually, you know, I want to thank you. Is that how for, it works? That's, that that's, that's yeah. exactly how it worked. They knew what they were doing and they were looking out for me personally and the Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank them for letting the Astros feel very good about themselves for, you know, uh, a couple of weeks and then get knocked around at their home ballpark in game seven. Because without yeah. that, without the D-backs teeing mm-hmm. that up for that, you set up the alley for the oop that I could not see coming. And I want to thank you for that. Yeah. We knew the Astros were worse at home, so we want to set that up, you Bryce. You're welcome. There you go. Well, look at we got a World Series starting this weekend. Bryce Patrick, Lockdown Rangers. Where can people find your show? You can find my show wherever you find your podcasts and on YouTube. Uh, we are also trying to get to uh, three billion. Was it two billion subscribers that you're going two billion, for? Two, okay, two billion subscribers. Well, yeah. We're going for three billion subscribers. Ooh. We're we're a little bit short of that. Um, but you can find us on YouTube wherever you get your podcast. Find me on Twitter at Bryce Patrick. You can find the show at Locked On Rangers. We got the actual Locked On Rangers, not the underscore like the hockey team. Millard, tell I, us. I, I will say I was trying to craft a tweet to mention Lockdown Rangers yesterday, and I was pretty scared I was going to tag the New York Rangers. So thankfully, I was able to do that right. Follow uh, my personal Twitter account, at CreatorThomas24. Look up Lockdown Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram. Of course, we're on all your podcasting platforms. And please hit subscribe to Lockdown Diamondbacks on YouTube. And we're at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter or whatever it's called now on Instagram. And I'm your pal, Sully, but Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Previewing the World Series with the well, the pennant winners that we all picked at the beginning of the year. On behalf of Bryce Patrick, on behalf of my buddy Millard, I'm your pal Sully. This has been the Lockdown MLB, Lockdown Rangers, Lockdown Diamondbacks crossover. Let's play ball. <laughs>